The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return this evening to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, during the last time that we had a chance to speak with you, we concluded Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, concluding in verse 21. And we'd like to pick up right after that in John chapter 3 and verse 22. So it says here, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon there to Salem, or Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. So in the early part of this chapter, we, and continuing on from John chapter 2, when he was in Jerusalem observing the feast, he did tremendous miracles there in Jerusalem that, that caught many people's attention, and uh, not just Nicodemus, but there were other people that recognized that uh, for a man to be doing these kind of miracles, he had to have been come from God. And then, obviously, we know the conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus by night. So, he leaves Jerusalem, but he's still in the uh, Judea area, and there were men that were... Uh, this is a transitional point, uh, especially now that Jesus' ministry is becoming more public and he's performing these miracles and John has already pointed him out as the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the, uh, uh, John's ministry was always intended to be a transitional ministry. And now you're starting to see that, that transition. So he's baptizing, but also Jesus and Actually, his disciples, Jesus' bab, uh, disciples are baptizing. And uh, John, that's very important always for us to make this point in a baptism by immersion. Verse 23, why was John baptizing in this particular place? Well, there was much water there, right? There was enough for them to be fully immersed. Amen. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. If he came up out of the water, that means he went down in the water, right? He certainly didn't sprinkle. You can sprinkle somebody with a little bit of water um, at, your, at your house. But you need a good bit of water to get them underneath that water, right? So he was baptizing there where much water was at. Verse 25, and there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi... He that was with thee beyond Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. So these disciples, a few of them, particularly um, Andrew, was a, was a disciple of John, but then he became a disciple of Jesus Christ and began to follow Jesus. And there were other of these disciples that were losing their, their following. We used to have big crowds, but now our crowds aren't as big as they used to be anymore because now they're going to Jesus. And, and they got a little concerned about that, that 
Jesus is baptizing, his disciples are baptizing, but they're going to them to be baptized. They bring that concern up with John the Baptist. Verse 27, And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. So my consistent message the whole time to both his disciples and also to the the questioning Pharisees is that I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm a voice to prepare the way for the Messiah that's going to come. But I was never the Christ, and I, I know my role that I was sent to go before him. And I'm fulfilling my ministry. You know, it's great to have an understanding of the measure of the calling that you've been called to and be content in that measure of your calling. And something I've been thinking about recently, um, kind of in a a work setting, has, has prompted some of these thoughts. Uh, that we're always in a transitional stage that our goal is never for, for us to be the person in power or control. Our hope is always to be building up other people to take our place. Yeah. That's always your goal. And <clears throat> that's very important to be reminded of in the ministry because every ministry is a transitional ministry. I mean, the, the whole purpose of of uh, us serving for a period of time is to hopefully be part of the, the structure and the solution that raises up the next generation of men that are equipped, because when we're dead and gone, we want the church to be properly equipped with other men to take our place. So, but a lot of people struggle with that, and they want to maintain their position and, and influence, and they have a hard time letting go. But it's, it's such a blessing to see uh, John the Baptist having such a, I think contentment is the word that comes to mind, a contentment that he's doing exactly what he's called to do, even though he's losing influence, he's losing followers in a natural sense, and his people are concerned about it. And he's saying, actually, I'm doing, this means that I'm doing my ministry exceedingly well. If people are leaving me and they're going to follow Jesus Christ. But we're never going to be in the same station that, uh, that we're in right now. Our goal is always to be passing the baton to the next generation, right? And we need to be properly equipping them to where when they take the baton, they don't drop it. So John says here in verse 29, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. The friend of the bridegroom here is what we would kind of know as the best man in a wedding. And you know, in a wedding setting, the best man stands close to the groom because he's supposed to hand him the ring at some point. But we all know that the best man is not the center of attention at the wedding, right? Now, in this this Middle Eastern um, Jewish wedding context, uh, this is a lot bigger topic that we 
really won't address this evening, but uh, the wedding structure in the, the Middle Eastern culture and in the Jewish culture is not here comes the bride, it's here comes the groom. And there are so many beautiful lessons associated with that, especially thinking about the Lord's second coming. But the friend of the bridegroom was the person who would announce the arrival of the groom when he returned to get his bride. And and, uh, uh, John the Baptist had the privilege of being the friend of the bridegroom to make the announcement at his first coming. And it's going to be Michael the archangel who's going to make that announcement at his second coming. But he says here, describing himself as the friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom, he knows his role, right? (laughs) Going back to what I said earlier about John the Baptist. A contentment in his role and his calling. He knows his role. My, My role is simply to aid the groom. And also, primarily, to make sure people don't look at me and they pay more attention to the groom. Right. So he's saying that, that my desire is for essentially no attention to be on me as the friend of the bridegroom or the best man. I don't want any attention on me. My goal, my role, is to always point people to look at the groom, to look at Jesus Christ. And, and he also says here, therefore is my joy fulfilled. He, just, he says... Uh, standeth and heareth him and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist says that my, the fullness of my joy is in hearing the voice of the bridegroom, hearing the voice of my beloved. And I sure hope that you can say the same thing. That my joy, the fullness of my joy is in hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. I love the beautiful intimacy and the description of the love between, first of all, Solomon and the Shulamite maid, but primarily Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And it describes the voice of her beloved. That's the voice of the bridegroom. And we have the privilege of, you know, we can't hear the, the voice of Jesus Christ today in an in a audible sense, but... We can hear him speak through his word, and we can hear him speak through the preaching of the word, too. I love to hear the voice of Jesus Christ in preaching and in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So I sure hope the, the voice of the groom gives you great joy and fullness in your soul as well. But he says here, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I know my role. My, my role is to point to the bridegroom. It's to exalt the bridegroom. And I love to have fellowship with him, and I love to hear the voice of the bridegroom. My joy is fulfilled in hearing the voice of the beloved bridegroom, his Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the verse that I believe we all know know very, very well, very popular in Christianity today, John chapter 3 and verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And notice the must there. You know, it is of necessity. It, it has to happen. And the way that Christ is exalted, the way that Christ increases in this world, the way that Christ increases in my life is that I am abased and that I decrease. I mean, that, that's just such a, a, a clear, um, almost kind of like a seesaw. <laughs> the, the higher we elevate Christ, inevitably, the more we will decrease ourselves. But the problem is our nature is to 
maybe get that seesaw off balance a little bit, right? And maybe elevate ourselves and make think of, think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And what happens when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think? Christ is being decreased, right? But our desire, our prayer is that the testimony of the actions of our life is that Christ increases through our life and that the focus would not be on us at all. We would be decreased, just like the, uh, the friend of the bridegroom there. Don't have any attention on me. I want to deflect any attention from me and make sure that that attention, attention focuses on Jesus Christ, that he would be exalted and that people wouldn't pay that much attention to me. He would increase and that I would decrease. Verse 31, he that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. <clears throat> and what he hath seen and heard, he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. So Jesus came down from heaven, he preached his own gospel, he declared uh, the fullness of God in uh, the written word that we have uh, written for us, he, he articulated the written word as the living word in person, right? I mean, he was the testimony of God to this world. Amen. And it says here that no man received his testimony. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? In, in and of ourself, we have no capacity to yeah. receive that testimony. And I want to kind of skip ahead a little bit because uh, we're going to spend more time on verse 36. But, but he concludes this by saying, John does, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So the consistent teaching of the New Testament, certainly the consistent teaching of the Gospel of John, is that belief is always the evidence and the effect that someone has already been born again, okay? And that's so important for us to understand that because that is as simple and clear as a, of a Bible teaching as that is in the New Testament and especially in the Gospel of John. Again, the, remember the theme of the Gospel of John is, is all exhorting the hearers and the readers and the listeners to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the stated purpose of this gospel in the midst of all this Gnostic heresy in the latter part of the first century that we're denying the divinity of Jesus Christ, that you are called upon to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But how, how will anyone believe and receive that testimony? Right. Well, you're not going to receive it yourself. No man receives this testimony. Amen. How do, does anyone um, receive the testimony of Jesus Christ that he's the Son of God? Well, actually go back to what Jesus was telling Nicodemus by night earlier in the chapter, right? It's all about the new birth. Remember that? Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Except you be born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. Right. So, the new birth and regeneration always has to precede someone believing this testimony. I want to go to uh, let's go to Matthew chapter eleven. Matthew chapter eleven, and for us to uh, understand the tulip doctrine, right? The 
nice little acronym that gives us a good summary of the doctrines of grace for us to understand unconditional election, for us to understand limited atonement, especially for us to understand irresistible grace and the power of God in regeneration, and, and then ultimately the preservation of the saints, but especially irresistible grace and the sovereignty of God in regeneration. Where do you have to start with? Well, you've got to start with total depravity, right? You've got to start with man's inability to receive any of these things of God apart from God changing your heart and changing your nature to give you the capacity to believe that and to understand that and to know the Lord after the new birth, know Him as the Abba Father, and then also when you hear the gospel, that then you have the capacity to confess and believe that gospel. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now why did he do that? Why did he conceal things from certain people who viewed themselves to be very high and mighty and falutin in this world? Why did he conceal these things from certain people that you would maybe expect God to reveal it to? But, it, but those that were uh, a little bit more unimpressive and obscure, the, uh, the babes, the, the uh, not as prominent in this world, that's who he chose to reveal uh, his truth to. Well, what is the basis of God choosing to reveal Himself in the new birth, and then later on choosing to reveal himself in the gospel. What's the basis of that? Well, it's simply the sovereignty of God, right? Amen. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Amen. I mean, why is it isn't amazing? You know, the more I think about things like the Trinity, I was thinking this week about uh, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't understand how it's possible that all of Jesus' righteousness was imputed to us. I mean, I believe it. It's biblical truth, but I, that's just as mysterious as the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> and and you want to know what's just as mysterious? That I, I don't have an answer. Even though it's the baseline of everything that we believe of salvation by grace alone and salvation, uh, regeneration by God's immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, I still don't have an answer for why God saw fit to love a certain group of people and he saw fit to pass over people, uh, other group of people that were just as wretched as, as those that he chose. Why did God do that? Well, I know in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen. But why did he do that? Why did he choose to bestow favor to reveal himself to certain people and to pass over other people? It's simply the sovereignty of God. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Yeah. It was his right to pass over everyone because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it was also his right to choose to bestow love and favor upon a distinct group right. that he saw fit to love that were just as unworthy of his love as those that he passed over. Even so, Father, why did God do it? He wanted to. It was according to his goodwill and pleasure to choose out of people to glorify him for choosing them. <laughs> right? To the praise of the glory of his grace. So why did God do that? Why did God reveal himself to people to where now we have the capacity to believe and understand his testimony? 
Because it seemed good in his sight to do so. <laughs> I tell you, we, we always need to be reminded of just how unworthy we are. Amen. Now, we're not, true, we're not worthy of providential blessings. That, that's for sure, right? But we are not worthy of eternal redemption. We're not worthy of regeneration. <laughs> right? Why did God give us the capacity to understand eternal things by faith? Why did He give us the capacity to, to press into this kingdom and, and have glimpses of heaven that we have? That if, if the earnest of our inheritance is, is so beautiful, boy, it sure whets our appetite for the fullness of it. Why did God give us that? Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. <laughs> I mean, the only thing we can say is that's the purpose of why he did it, to the praise of the glory of his grace. The only thing we can say is just say, glorify God for showing unmerited favor to us wretched Amen. sinners who don't deserve it. Verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. If the Son does not reveal the knowledge of the Father to anyone, they have no capacity to come to that knowledge in and of themselves. Right? Remember what he said earlier on there in John chapter 3? That if you're of the flesh, if you're born of the flesh... Your flesh, right? But if you're born of the Spirit, now you have the capacity to understand spiritual things. But if you have not been born again of the Holy Spirit, you have no capacity to understand anything about the Father, right? And how are you born again? By the direct operation of the voice of the Son of God, resurrecting your soul in regeneration. The reason why we have a knowledge of God the Father is because the Son revealed the knowledge of the Father to us. Based on what merit? Because you chose to believe? No. Because of His sovereignty to choose you before the foundation of the world and then to apply that salvation to your soul in regeneration. And now you have the capacity to understand and to believe. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> we know this interaction between Jesus and uh, Simon Peter, Simon Barjona very well. And he says, who do men say that I am? Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, right? He makes the exact confession that he should make. That's the foundational building block of the kingdom of God is someone coming forward and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjon, for flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you. A preacher didn't reveal that to you. Your parents didn't reveal that unto you. It, uh, uh, paper didn't reveal that unto you. <laughs> the paper of the written word. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood. There's nothing about earth. Remember earlier in John chapter 3, except he be born from above. There's nothing about earth that revealed this knowledge unto you. Amen. Now, there's some people that, that gave you more information about it, right? 
in those that have been called to preach, and those that have helped us understand and rightly divide the Word of God. But what reveal that can that can reveal things and give you clarity in your head, but that has no ability to reveal anything in the soul. Okay, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto them. Who revealed it? Who revealed this unto Peter? My Father, which is in heaven, Jesus Christ, God. Jesus Christ and God the Father opened the heart of Peter and opens the heart of every child of God to where now we have the capacity to understand the gospel and the truths of God's word. John chapter 3, we looked at verse 32. What hath, <clears throat> and what hath he seen and heard that he testifieth? And no man receiveth his testimony of our own nature. We have no capacity to understand the testimony of Jesus Christ. But he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about those that have believed the gospel and that have received a seal of the Holy Spirit. That special confirmation and seal of the Holy Spirit on their heart and on their conscience that I am one of the kings. I am a child of the Father. And that you have that special sealing when you profess and believe publicly that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That, that's amazing to think about. Amen. That we hope that if you're praying for the worship services and you're praying for your pastor and, and if he's in tune with the Holy Spirit, we hope when we uh, approach especially the preaching of the Word in public worship, I hope it's true of our singing service as well, that, that the Spirit is moving and that Jesus Christ is, is speaking to us because Jesus sings right along with us in the song service, that he's, he's ministering to us and, and preaching to us, if you will, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the singing portion. But we hope that if everyone's praying and following the leadership of the Spirit in the manner that they ought to, we hope that the Spirit is giving you a message from Jesus Christ through a minister preaching in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. But that is just the Spirit by a little bit of measure, right? <laughs> Inevitably, it's still coming through a broken vessel. It's coming through a sinful creature. But could you imagine being in the presence of Jesus Christ where he was preaching through the Spirit without measure because he was perfectly one with the Holy Spirit, right? And, and that just shows you the wickedness of man's heart by nature. Because some of those men heard him preach through the Spirit without measure, and their desire was to want to kill him and to attribute his actions and his miracles to Beelzebub and the Prince of Devils. That just tells you how wicked. <laughs> he says a little bit earlier here in this chapter that I am the light and the reason why, the, why men hate me is because I reveal the reality of their darkness. Well, the, we, we deliver through the gospel. The, the gospel brings life and immortality to light, but that's still through a glass darkly. 
but there was no glass intermediary to, to filter out the fullness of the light when Jesus came. <laughs> and that, that, that shows you why they rejected Jesus Christ so hostily is because there was, there was no barrier to the fullness of the light of the world shining to them. And the brighter the light, the more they hated the, the, their wicked, dark deeds being more perfectly exposed, right? And that's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they wanted to silence the light. So Jesus Christ preached with the Spirit without measure, which is just amazing to meditate on. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Hath is a present tense verb that you're in current possession of everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So someone that believes, it's an evidence of regeneration and evidence that they have already been born again. And this is a verse that is consistently used in Christianity to say that belief, you have to choose to believe Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then you're just a unregenerate person that's going to go to hell. Well, the consistent teaching of the rest of the New Testament is that belief is the evidence of regeneration. Yeah. You know, the gospel brings life and immortality to light. So when someone professes a belief in the gospel, that means that now they have shown light onto their situation. Back in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power. That word power there means to come onto stage, to manifest publicly, uh, to public vision, so to say. To them gave he power to become the sons of God in a manifest sense, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. They were already born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Not by your choice, not by your will, but by God's sovereignty in regeneration. But just because someone has not stepped into the light of the gospel to where we can have, you know, if you look in darkness, if you're looking in, in you can have a confidence, or maybe, maybe confidence is not the right word. You can have a suspicion that, something, that something's out there, but you can't say definitively one way or the other if, if you're looking and it's dark, what's there at all? In a positive sense or a negative sense. Now, when light comes, you can have clarity of vision, right? But if someone has not professed publicly a belief in Jesus Christ, that does not mean that they are immediately going to hell. It doesn't mean that if they're not continuing in a state of uh, faithful discipleship in the manner that they ought to, that doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation or maybe they were a false professor to start with and People try to use this verse as the means by which if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're just going to hell. Listen, if you don't have clarity of vision due to light not being shined on the situation, then you should never make definitive statements when you don't have clarity of vision in any situation, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to make definitive statements about anyone 
uh, or any situation if I don't have clarity of vision into that situation. Now, when you step on stage and you come before the church and you confess Jesus Christ, then I can say along with Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, yes, they exhibited a uh, labor of love and a patience of, of hope and a work of faith. But the reason why he said, I can boldly have confidence in knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God is because you have shown the light into your life to give me clarity to say, because the gospel came unto you, not in word only, but in power and in much assurance. I now have clarity to give you gospel assurance. But if someone's sitting in darkness, many times we just have to say, nevertheless, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Um, I appreciate the clarity that Brother Joe has, has consistently taught that we have no right, especially uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter talking to, uh, or receiving a testimony of the Spirit to Cornelius, that I have no right to call any man common or unclean. Amen. And there's nothing more common or unclean than saying you're dirty, well, you are a dirty, rotten sinner, but that you're going to hell. Right. <laughs> well, we don't know the state that they're in. I mean, they could be a thief on the cross situation. They could be born again later in their life. I mean, many people would have looked at Saul of Tarsus at a portion of his life, and he was, he was not a believer in Jesus Christ, right? But we don't know if they may be an elect person that God has not born them again right. yet. We don't know at what stage in their spiritual life and spiritual journey that they're in. There may come a, a, a point later in their life that they're born again. And there are other people that are uh, more like Nicodemus. That's who we just talked about earlier here in this chapter. That he, in, to public vision, to public vision, he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? right? And we know about him because the Lord gives us some clarity but throughout the life of Jesus Christ, he was sitting in darkness to public vision. He was unwilling to step out in the spotlight. And also says there in John chapter 12 that there were many other people. It says many, many leaders in the synagogue that were just unwilling to step out into public view. They believed on Jesus. It says, it says they believed. But they were unwilling to step out into the spotlight because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Well, to public vision, to public vision, we would say they're not a believer in Jesus Christ. They're not a believer in Jesus Christ. I guess they're just going to bust hell wide up. No, they were a believer. They just didn't have the boldness to step out in discipleship in the manner that they ought to yet. So um, this verse is, is reiterating the same consistent teaching that is all throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, that belief is the evidence and the effect, the fruit of the Spirit, that regeneration has already blown in their heart. But if someone is not standing up publicly in belief in Jesus Christ, not only do we not have any reason to say it or any authority to say it, I just can't wrap my head around some men that have a desire to make people question their eternal salvation all the time. Right. That is the exact opposite of my calling as a gospel minister and in your calling and just your, your ministry to every other Christian. Amen. Right? We encourage them to the best of our ability. Why would I ever reach the point to say, oh, you know, you, you probably weren't a true believer. You were probably a false professor. You need to get right with the Lord. Why would you ever say that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you ever say that? God forbid. 
God forbid, but that is so prevalent in Christianity today. So commend those that have made the step that you ought to. Confess Jesus Christ publicly. Believe. Step on stage and manifest publicly that you're a child of God. But for those that have not made that declaration and we don't have clarity of vision of their situation, many times we just have to say, nevertheless, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I mean, I've, I've had to pre preach sermon, uh, preach funerals like that. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, did I possibly see some, some love and some joy and some meekness? Yeah, I might have, but uh, this may not be the best language to use, but I would say that belief is the is the primary evidence right. of regeneration. Other things are secondary evidences. But you cannot put all your evidence in secondary evidences if the primary evidence is not there. Yeah. And what I mean by that is just because you, your perception is that someone um, lives a, a wholesome life and seems to be generally, you know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. There's a lot of unregenerate people that are really happy here in this world, right? That's right? That might give the impression of joy to you. <laughs> so just because someone's happy and bubbly and, ha and happy all the time, and you might perceive that as joy, that, that may not be for the spirit joy, okay? So if they exhibited the, those secondary evidences, then, then that's great. That's great. And that, that can give me a little bit of hope. But knowing, brethren, beloved, your election in God, I have a fullness and, and a true confident expectation is for those that have exhibited that primary evidence of uh, belief and confession of Jesus Christ. So if anyone is here that has not made that public profession, we ask you to, to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to step on stage, to manifest publicly that you're a son and a child of God and it says there that for those that don't believe, the wrath of God abided on them, and they shall not see life. Well, that's true of the unregenerate, right? If someone is not born again, yes, they will receive eternal judgment, and there's no life in them. But also, if you're a child of God that is just being stubborn and rebellious, you know, you're not going to press into the abundant life and feel the fullness of that abundant life. And, and not only are you not going to get the abundant life in the manner that you ought to, but the Lord... Um, does not take very kindly when you are re resisting the overtures of the Holy Spirit. Go read the, uh, the account of Jonah, right? Do you think there was a period of time that the wrath of God abided on Jonah when he chose to rebel against the Lord? Well, he was not living in life, and the wrath of God abided upon him. Why? Because he didn't choose to believe the Lord. He chose to run in opposition to the Word of God and the command of God. So uh, we, we would encourage you, if you haven't made that step of faith, to publicly profess that, not as the means of, of gaining eternal life, but as the means of pressing into the kingdom of heaven and partaking of that joyful, abundant life that He's provided for us here on this side of heaven. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. 
For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.